Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Come plan your dream wedding all in one day at the 17th Annual Newport Bridal Show on March 3rd. Meet with more than 80 top wedding professionals at two of Newport's most romantic venues, Rose Cliff and Ocean Cliff Mansions. Visit NewportBridalShow.net to buy your ticket today. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Cape Sports Now. The Cape Cod Times is all sports podcast. My name is Steve Dedarian, alongside Matt Goisman. And Matt, what a week in sports we just had, you mm-hmm. know, from high schools all the way to last night's Super Bowl. And for the sixth time in this millennium, we can say the New England Patriots are world champions. And we only had to wait 98 days between <laughs> the Red Sox winning the World Series and the Patriots winning the Super Bowl. Seems like everything is right with the world. It seems like very little is right with the world, but at least the Boston sports teams are winning. As it comes to sports, that's what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, thanks for joining us. I hope everybody's not too tired from staying up too late to watch what will probably go down as not one of the most memorable Super Bowls ever, but who cares? The Patriots did win it 13-3. That's six Super Bowl titles, including three in the last five years. That ties the Steelers for the most championship wins all time. Tom Brady passes his hero, Joe Montana, with his sixth ring. He was not the biggest reason why they won, but he did win it. It was a good, you know, it was a good defense. I think the defense was what really shined for the Patriots last night. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought a team that lost and looked so poor on defense against teams like Jacksonville and Detroit and or the Eagles in the Super Bowl the last year? Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that they would come back a year later? And somebody made that point, they're not talking about it enough, is that. How often do you see a team lose the Super Bowl and get back to the Super Bowl the next year and win it? Absolutely. <laughs> that just doesn't happen in this league, and it really just speaks to that year-in and year-out success that everybody kind of raves about. But, um, yeah, like you just said, lowest-scoring Super Bowl in history. I think Super Bowl seven was 14-7. to seven. Mm-hmm. I think that was a previous lowest record. So, you know what? If you're the Pats, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> just six Super Bowl, and, and a lot of people, I mean, the offseason people are asking, what's the drama going to be? Well, it's going to be a lot of how much of this team do you keep together? Right. What else do you add to it? Mm-hmm. Um, Does Gronkowski retire? Yeah, or... I think that's the big one because from all indications, it doesn't look like Brady stepping away. You no, I think that he has they, no intention. You would have thought that last night, if he was going to do it, he would have said, yeah, uh, I'm done. Right. You know, Jerome Bettis style. Exactly. Or Michael Strahan, I think, did the same thing when he beat the Patriots. But um, you're talking about the defense, and we were talking a bunch last night. You could have given the defense, or you could have given the MVP to a number of defensive guys. Mm-hmm. You know, Dante Hightower, linebacker, he didn't have him last year. He was unbelievable at pressuring the quarterback. Kyle Van Noy, same thing. Huge game. Uh, Stephon Gilmore, obviously, with the critical interception, right. which uh, we predicted maybe he was going to be the guy to make that play this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Trey Flowers, another yeah. great pass rusher. And then the McCourty twins, I mean, take your pick. For sure. Well, uh, breaking up the touchdown pass. Jason and, McCourty, yeah, the yeah. end zone was huge. Um, and Patrick Chung, you know, he broke his arm, but credit to the Patriots for adjusting. You know, they had to, you know, on that play, you had Jonathan Jones in there, and you're kind of, you know, gritting your teeth a bit because you saw how bad he got exposed in the Super Bowl last year. But. Mm-hmm. The Pats found a way to adjust, and he actually, I looked last night, he actually led the team in tackles. He had yep. eight tackles, six of them solo. Um, so good bounce back for him. But these guys were in uh, Rams quarterback Jared Goff's face all night. Oh, yeah. It's four sacks, and then they called that zero blitz on the interception for Gilmore. And 
biggest interception of the year with four minutes remaining. Um, and the Pats were able to then chew up three minutes a clock and, and get a field from Gostowski to, to mm-hmm. nail it. Yeah, I think, in general, I think the uh, special teams played really well last night. Obviously, Gostkowski missed his first kick. He's not quite as automatic in the in his Super Bowl history as Adam Venaturi was, or even he himself has been in the regular season. But he made his subsequent extra points. He made the late field goal, which was critical. It came a, a day after his grandfather died. Yeah, so it's really tough for him. So he's probably I, playing with a bit of a heavy heart. I can't imagine what his you know mind frame would be trying to deal with that you know he was kicked some big touchbacks he didn't give them much on kickoff coverage uh ryan allen was great on punt coverage he pinned them inside the 20 uh three times out of five punts and then matthew slater is an all pro punt cover guy and we saw why last night i mean they got nothing in special yeah. teams when i used to play football i used to love being the gunner the guy who run down the field and go recover the punts mm-hmm. it was just one of those things where you just you're racing you're not necessarily racing another opponent you're racing the ball you're trying to keep it out of the end zone, do whatever you can. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I tweeted last night, you know, the Rams had to punt nine times, you know, really, <laughs> really disappointing for their offense to say the least. And, yeah. But the funny thing out of that is that this would be the game that uh, somebody would set the record for the Super Bowl's longest punt. And Johnny Hecker, <laughs> sure enough, 65-yard punt. They got a really nice bounce, kind of flipped the field on the Patriots. 65-yarder um, and... That was pretty much the best play the Rams made all night. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Um, but they, in fairness, the Rams' defense did make some big stops to limit Brady, who actually threw an interception on his first pass of the game. You know, the it was first a deflected drive. ball. So, so, you know, but yeah, it's an interception. But it was an interception at the end of the day, and the Pats were actually running the ball really well on that first drive. So mm-hmm. it was almost a surprise that they went to the air yep. that quickly. Um, and it almost set the tone for the night <laughs> in a way. Just that it was going to be a weird game. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um but, you know, they only sacked Brady once and really made those guys, Aaron Donald and the Dominican Sue, kind of uh, obsolete in a way. I mean, Donald was getting a decent pass rush. Sue got there a little bit. I mean, there was one play, I think, where he threw Marcus Cannon into Tom Brady. Right. But, but generally speaking, they, they weren't really the obstructive guys. I mean, there's a lot yeah, of that I came mean, Aaron the Donald secondary. was the defensive player of the year this year, and he did not. He was effective, but he was not amazing. Right, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't like the Giants' defensive line, you know, when they had um, or what the Seahawks did, did to Peyton Manning, ben- yeah, and stuff like that. So, you know, that's big credit to Pat's line coach Don Desinecki, as we mentioned last week. You know, many of those interviews they praised him as the best in the game, and I think it certainly, uh, yeah, certainly came true again from uh, coming out of retirement a few years ago and having one of the best offensive lines that only allowed Brady to get sacked once. In the whole playoffs, never yeah, mind just the I'm, Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I'm, the offensive line and Skarne- under Skarnecki was fantastic in the postseason. They kept Brady <laughs> safe. You only have to do that for a few seconds usually. I do give the uh, Rams, uh, you know, secondary credit for doing a pretty good job on covering everybody except obviously Julian Edelman, the MVP of the Super Bowl. It's funny in a lot of ways. I think the defensive success were flipped between the two teams. I think. Patriots obviously had a much better pass rush, and their secondary coverage was good but not unbelievable. Uh, whereas with LA, I think their secondary played pretty well. I think where they struggled was to get much pass rush. They weren't really good against uh, run defense. Obviously, Sony Michelle ran for I think 94 yards, and then uh, Burkhead ran for another uh, for uh, another 43. So they were able to run the ball pretty effectively, which forced so. I don't think the front seven played amazing for the Rams. I think their secondary 
kept them in the game a little bit in this one. Absolutely. And we still can't forget about the offense, which yeah. ultimately closed out the victory. Brady going on another fourth quarter game-winning drive. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. And then Belichick was talking after the game. The real difference with the adjustment on offense was they went to a lot of two tight end yep. and then empty sets. So you're going in from like a run-based formation, mm-hmm. a tight into open, we're going to throw the ball because we know Brady's not going to run it of course. <laughs> out of an empty <laughs> backfield. Um, and that's what got Rob Gronkowski open ultimately on that, on that last drive. You know, they got him on that little wheel route up the right sideline. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that big um, throw down field of the two. Um, the only play that was inside the red zone was Sony Michelle's plunge, two-yard plunge up the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was the only touchdown of the night. So just, just nice to see Gronkowski in those last two games. He was kind of obsolete all year, becoming more of a blocker really just emerging in these two biggest games of the year and uh, making his mark felt. Absolutely. I mean, this game ultimately just came down to that one drive. Brady was not that good for the entire rest of the game, but on the one drive in the fourth quarter, when he had to be good, he was four for four, and he made the kinds of throws Tom Brady is really good at making. That wheel route throw is not easy because you kind of got to throw it over the shoulder, and Mm -hmm. Gronk is a big target but not the fastest one, so you do have to put it – you know, right in the area where he can reach out and grab it. And then the 29-yard pass to the two was perfect. I mean, that floated right in front of Gronk to just grab it and haul it in. Right. You just can't put a linebacker on him. You you just can't do it. (laughs) If you do, you got to make sure there's somebody else there. Yeah, you got to have help over the top. And instead, they let him get behind the the secondary. And and that was what led to, you know, the winning play. Uh, And then as I was talking about the run defense, after Gilmore steps up, makes the interception, they want to try to run it out. They don't manage to run the clock out completely, but between Burkhead and Michelle just running them down the field into field goal right. range, effectively they ended the game. Even if he'd missed, they would have had no timeouts. It would have still been pretty hard for them. Um, and you saw it in that last drive. I mean, they just they bad at clock management. They had no timeouts. Yeah, their clock management on that last drive, the Rams, was They're terrible. Throwing over the middle, I mean. Not, not spiking it. I mean, maybe they had already kind of given up at that point because it 10 points in, in a minute yeah. is unlikely no matter what. Um, but in general, I didn't think the Rams' offense looked very good. Obviously, Todd Gurley couldn't do anything. He has He's been battling healthy. an He's injury. Yeah. And then C.J. Anderson was okay. Um, you know, But they did not have the balance that New England did. And then the thing that I heard during the broadcast that really puzzled me is at no point in their prep, did they ever try to simulate what crowd noise would sound like in the Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. And that is a huge just coaching mistake, preparation mistake. Like, why would you not think to do that at least once? And it cost them. I mean, Jared Goff committed a false start penalty in the fourth quarter on a right. second and one situation, in part because he couldn't hear his team and couldn't communicate effectively over the noise of the crowd. You know, McVay talked about feeling like he got out coached. This is something the Patriots would never not do. They right. would always practice with simulated noise in the Super Bowl stadiums. I mean, oh, they were course. there for a week. How do you not do that one time just to see how it sounds? Yeah, I mean, that's that's it's a good point. I mean, but the Patriots have already been tested through that too. Yeah. And I'm sure they did the same thing before they went to Arrowhead to play the Chiefs, which yeah. is arguably the loudest stadium in in uh, the NFL. Sure. But, you know, you could tell that crowd was about, like, 90% Patriots. Oh, yeah. In the middle of the fourth quarter, you're literally hearing Brady, Brady, Brady chance. Yeah. I mean, that's where else does that happen? I mean, that's, I think some of that is because, look, the Rams are new to L.A. this right. year. Obviously, they have 
history going back a few decades to being in LA, but the Rams were a St. Louis fan base up until very recently. That team has not, I don't believe been able to really establish a core fan base in LA just because it's only been one year. And I think LA is getting used to the idea of having pro football. But also in fairness, you also had the Rams go to the Superdome and win there with pretty much no Rams fans. So yeah, I I don't know how much of a factor is that played, but I mean, no, it's certainly just, the Patriots have played better when the majority of their fans are are rooting for them, and that was clearly the case last night. Absolutely, I mean, I think Patriots fans showed up for that game. Um, but yeah, so we got the rest is history. Parade number twelve is coming up Tuesday at eleven a.m. in Boston. If you're interested, and uh, stay yeah. safe if you're there. It's going to probably be crowded, but the weather should be beautiful. So you know, go enjoy it before. The snowstorm hits. Yeah, exactly. Because it's Boston, and we'll probably get one soon. Uh, let's go back to uh, – want to return to the Cape, go to some high school coverage? Sure, let's do it with uh, basketball if you want to kick that off. Yeah, so basketball, we had a bunch of pretty big league games last week, and everything is a little bit more complicated, but it's pretty clear now who the league winners are going to be. Uh, what's kind of interesting to me is that because in the MIAA, the playoffs are just based on win percentage – we could have a situation where the team that like wins the Atlantic Coast League or the Cape and Islands League doesn't actually get the highest seed of the teams from those leagues that make the playoffs. You look at Cape Cod Academy, so Nantucket dominated CCA on the island last week. It was a 20-point win. Nantucket was had a big lead at the end of the first quarter and just rolled from there. You know, Nantucket is now in a very good position to win the Cape and Islands. Basically, they have one league loss, CCA has two, Monomoy has zero. So Cape Cod Academy needs to win out, including beating the Monomoy team that beat them. That game is set for the 12th. And then Monomoy and Nantucket have two games at the end of the year against each other. If they split and CCA wins its la- all of its remaining league games, we have a three-way tie. If either Monomoy or Nantucket sweeps, that's your winner for the Cape and Nylands League. But because CCA is 13-2 and two and probably is going to finish the season 15-3, and 17-3, uh, something like that, uh, they could very easily wind up being the highest seed of any of those teams in the D4 South tournament. Yeah, I still think Nantucket, though, has the best shot at at least getting the league title. You're right that they might get a better seed, but certainly, at least as you terms of playoff longevity, I think Nantucket still has that advantage. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a team that actually has a lot of playoff experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, went all the way, I believe, to the semifinals a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and... I think that matters to a certain point. I mean, Adam Rose is a good coach. You know, he's been around. He's he's known how to coach teams mm-hmm. that have that have done well in the postseason. But I still think Nantucket has the advantage going here right now. Guys like Victor Gambaroni have been playing unbelievable. Um, Fonte Usher, Malik Bowden, Malik Bowden, yeah, yeah. just all these guys. Burton when he's the healthy. No, right. I I probably agree with that. I also think that team has more like seniors, and CCA has none. Their one senior is injured, so right. certainly a great future. Oh, without a doubt, you know. So CCA is at home today against Sacred Heart. Then they're at Calvary Chapel Academy on Tuesday. So a couple of non-league games for them. Monomoy is at Martha's Vineyard. That's the one team that I think could throw a, a wrench into Monomoy and Nantucket's plans. Uh, CCA is done playing the Vineyard. Right. CCA had to come back in that game in the fourth quarter. Martha's Vineyard is a D3 team. They're the only D3 team in the Cape and Islands League. They may even, when the new teams come in next year, move up to the the Cape and Islands large and Mm -hmm. just leave the small as all the D4 schools. So 
I think Monomoy and Nantucket will both beat the Vineyard, but they both have games left against them. And I think the Vineyarders are the, the only team that could really throw a wrench into anybody's plans. It's um, going to be a tough win for Monomoy on the road. Yeah, it's at Martha's Vineyard today. Um, and then Nantucket there at Mashpee tomorrow. Non-league, but potential uh, D4 South playoff matchup. Mashpee playing a lot better lately. Devon Ford, obviously. I think he's leading the South Shore League in scoring. Yeah, and he kind of runs, lives and dies with him. Yeah, he is the, the offense. I mean, but he in is, fairness, you got guys like Kendall Rose who stepped in. I yeah, believe Kendall he hit, Rose, the, he hit a buzzer Andrews, beater at the end of the yeah, beginning of the year. At the Mashpee uh, Wampanoa game, which was awesome. Uh, you know, they've got some kids back. Kendall is also a returning starter. I mean, he right. was a starter last year. The other kids like Antis and, and Hughes, those guys played, but but not much so right they just they're, they're lacking the guys last year when they had gonzalez who could really rebound well and clean up the board mm-hmm. but you know it's still a fun team to watch when they're when their shooting is on so they could be a bit of a dark horse you know even if they have to play a road playoff game to right. start if mashby gets in assuming they also last year had michael right. frazier who they, of course was one of the best a, a really great ball handler he could pass extremely well he was a good outside shoot like he he also was a good way to he could bring the ball up Knowing that the other team was going to focus on Devon, so yep. Um, so over in the Atlantic Coast League, it's even more complicated than it seems to be. Dy lost to Sandwich on Friday. That's the second time this year Sandwich beat uh, Dy, and the Blue Knights might not even make the playoffs this year. Chris Cronin was huge in that game, twenty-seven points. They held Logan Grosick to four field goals and just twelve points overall. So Dy is now eleven and three, and they're a game behind Marshfield in the ACL standings. The good news is DY is at Marshfield on Friday, and with that win and a win tonight uh, and a win this week against Nosset, they could still at least tie for the league title. But winning at Marshfield is a heck of a lot harder than beating Marshfield at home. So, you know, Marshfield, I think, is definitely in control right now of winning that league. Yeah, I mean, Sandwich really playing a spoiler role a little mm-hmm. bit too. It's interesting to see the you know the the kind of they can beat them but not them. You yeah, know, DY. Has swept Falmouth this year, but also then Sandwich sweeps um, DY. DY. But I don't think you would make the comparative in saying that Sandwich is also better than Falmouth. Yeah. So it's just weird how these teams kind of all match up in mm-hmm. their own individual ways. Yeah. It, I mean, to beat Marshall on the road, it's going to take a, a great game from Grosek, right. uh, Cam Tauber, Alex Stowe. I mean, they got to get it going. Um, right. A couple other games uh, that are worth watching out for uh, this week. Tonight, we've got the Sturgis East-West doubleheader at uh, Hyannis Youth and Community Center. That's always a really fun atmosphere. There's music. There's the whole walking track above the court is usually lined with people cheering and banging. So Sturgis East and West games are not always the rowdiest um, just because I I think of the the communities at those schools. But this game is going to be a fun one. Uh, So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, And then Barnstable Boys host Falmouth on Friday. Their first game between these two teams wasn't much of a battle. Falmouth really just kind of dominated that one. But Barnstable is a home team. They had a huff, tough season, but they're not quite out of playoff contention yet. So maybe that spurs them on. But at the same time, last year, Falmouth beat Barnstable, and that did knock the Red Raiders out of the possibility of making the playoffs. So it would be a shame if Falmouth like literally ended Barnstable's playoff hopes two years in a row. Right. Um, you know, you're right about Barnstable. I think they really need to get Joey Omokas going again. Yeah. And I mentioned it the last time. And it's going to be tough, obviously, when you got Cam Dunbury and um, 
Kyle Cardoza. Kyle Cardoza. Yeah. I was like Kyle Gonzalez. Kyle Cardoza. <laughs> um, yeah, both of those guys are just been outstanding on the inside, and they kind of neutralize anything on the inside. So it's going to have to be a combination. You know, Mocus gets some inside baskets, but also yeah. guys like Alex Woolery. Um, or Jadar Frantz hitting from the outside. If they can get uh, guys like Dunbarry or Cardoza in foul trouble, mm. they could at least maybe create a situation where only one of them <laughs> is on the court at any given time instead of both of them. When both of them are on, I don't think Barnstable has the strength in its front court to match them. But D.Y. was able to beat uh, Falmouth at home a couple weeks ago by getting Emery Dun- uh, I'm sorry, Cam Dunbarry to foul out uh, and putting a lot, and then they were able to kind of take control a little bit, even right. though they lost Grosek and their backup center. So there was a lot of fouling out in that game. Right. Uh, uh, girls' side, uh, yeah. you're going to have two possibly 1,000-point scores as early as tomorrow. Absolutely. Uh, Born Emma Fenton's five points away from scoring. They play Dartmouth, or excuse me, they Wareham. play Wareham <laughs> at, uh, at 6.30 p.m. Tuesday. Yep. Um, she should be able to get that pretty quickly. And then uh, Barnstable's Carly Whiteside. She's been playing since eighth grade, didn't play her junior year. She's eight points away from 1,000. That game is 5.30 p.m. at home against Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, she was only 14 points away against Bridgewater Random against Saturday, but only scored six. So Bridgewater Random is really good. They are they're, really good. They're one of the best teams in the state this but year. But it does. It almost sets up in a weird roundabout way, a nice way for Whiteside to yeah. hit that mark at home. Yeah, I, I, I had the same thought when I was reading about that, that it would – that would be fitting for her to get it at home. Um, and I, th- I think both of these players will do this. I think they'll get it. Fenton, I think, will have it in the first quarter. Whiteside, maybe at halftime. Uh, but, yeah, two big games. I think we're each going to go to one of them, I think, is maybe the plan. Or Yeah, that's what we're looking at. So um, yeah, I've it, seen Barstable Girls a few times. They're a fun team to watch, even outside of Whiteside. A couple of yard, young guards, including Nakaya Bland, who's just really got really good hands. She's so fast. Yeah. And she doesn't stop. She has terrific endurance. Right. She can just run at a high speed forever. Right. I just think when the only issue is that when they run into guards equally as talented, mm-hmm. sometimes they back down a little bit like that instead of just keep the you know the foot on the gas. So, or they play too fast and they make mistakes, which right. is what happened against Brockton mm-hmm. uh, in the game I covered there. On Bourne's side, you know, Emma Fenton coming off of a state championship in volleyball, it would be tremendous. That'd be a heck of a senior year to get win a state championship and score your thousandth career point in basketball. Uh, hopefully, we'll find out a little bit about what her plans are for yeah. next year because. The last time I talked to her, even she didn't know kind of what route she wanted to go. And don't rule out the Bourne girls. I mean, they're a playoff team this yeah, year. Yeah, they are. Um, and that's been a program that's kind of, you know, flooded over the years. And is that finally, I think, with that senior class come in and just had a really tremendous season. Mm-hmm. We'll wrap it up with the, uh, the ACL girls. So Falmouth put itself in a great position to at least tie for the ACL title by beating Nosset on Friday. They were – Falmouth was terrific on defense <laughs> – when we previewed the game, I, I said I thought Skylar Gonzalez, their center, could be really critical in her ability to control the paint. I was right. You know, Ashley Ross could do very little. Skylar Sanderson got out, muscle got out, just pushed away and really never got going. They made Nossett look stiff, tentative, frustrated. Nobody looked comfortable shooting the ball. And it was only an eight-point win because I think Falmouth put so much en- energy into its defense, they couldn't score either. But they were in complete control this game start to finish. You know, Falmouth, they finished their ACL schedule tomorrow at Marshfield. I think they'll win that game. They, that would give them at least a share of the title. Nasset has DY on Tuesday. That should be an easy win. And then Sandwich on Friday, which I think they'll also win. So 
Nossett missed a chance at maybe going undefeated in the league. I think they're still in a pretty good position to tie Falmouth for the league title. Uh, so we'll see kind of, but we'll know at the end of the week what's what. Yeah, unbelievable. We'll hold that team to what, 24 points? 24 right? points. So, you know, I, Greg and Meehan didn't, Franganella, they were all kept, all of their scores all were kept in check the whole night. Right. That's a really impressive defensive performance from Falmouth. Right. Uh, let's hit the hockey you, now. Yeah, you saw some hockey, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but though, I mean, the one big thing from this past weekend was Canal Cup. Mm-hmm. Always a great event. Uh, and we saw two thrillers for the first time. Some of these yeah. games have been runaway games the last few years. The Bourne boys pull out a 4-3 win. That's the first time they've won it back to back since 2005 and 2006. And what a week for Chase Lapworth and the Bourne boys hockey team, which is now on eight straight. They're 12-3-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier in the week, Lapworth, Joe Hess, and Christian Mulkern all reached 100 varsity points on the same night. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, and, and the team, you know, even more importantly, that win over Wareham Carver was probably even more important than the win over Sandwich, just from the standpoint of Bourne's now in the driver's seat in the South Coast Conference, mm-hmm. and they should be able to close out the conference now. They got two more, I think, league games against teams they've already beaten pretty handily, so Bourne should be able to wrap up a league title and, and really set us up, up nicely for, for a postseason run. Um, but Saturday, Lapworth is game MVP. He scored the winner um, in the third period for mm-hmm. the 4-3 win in the 37th Canal Cup. Um, sandwich, credit to them, rallied from a 3-0 deficit to tie it at 3-3 in the third. They still lead in the overall rivalry, 22-14-1. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the day really belonged to Bourne's veterans. We really set the tone and put Sandwich on its heels early on. Joe Hess scored three minutes in, then Mike Benito made it 2-0 two, two uh, with three minutes left in the first. Mo Curran got a goal to make it 3 nothing in the second. But then Sandwich really cashed in on special teams, and Bourne got a little undisciplined, started committing penalties. Mm-hmm. Sandwich scored two goals on the power play um, and ended up tying it up by the third period. Crowd was going crazy, but then Bourne showed some great poise, which Coach Frank Carpenito said after the game was huge with veteran experience not to crack after giving up three straight. Um, Lapworth got some open space near the boards off the faceoff, and that's what he did to create the space for the tying goal. So credit to him for having that awareness. And like I said, Bourne should be able to close out the conference. They face Greater New Bedford on Wednesday and then Somerset Berkeley yep. next week. Um, and it'll be real interesting. They close out the season with tough tests against Hanover and Westwood, both winning teams. Um, will be will be a really good battle to see how Bourne stacks up against them. Sandwich, this one hurts a bit. You know, the window's closing a bit on the Blue Knights. Mm-hmm. Um, they're at Nauset on Saturday. They host D.Y., they should win that one. And then least. they host uh, Newton South to close out the year. A win against DY should put them in, but mm-hmm. um, if they can steal a point from the other two games, I think that might help Sandwich land a bit of a more reasonable you Not know, opening matchup. Not face like the number one seed or something right, like that. So yeah. it's tough with how the points, because Sandwich only has 19 games scheduled, I believe. Yeah. Um, so they would need, what, 20 total points, something like that, or 19? 19, 19, or... Whatever. 18, yeah. <laughs> they have they have 16 points right now. Mm-hmm. So um, I think guys like seniors, Sean Connolly, John Sutchman, Jack Hemian really have to step things up and try to avoid, you know, a big letdown here down the stretch. So, but then, you know, we flash forward to this week. We got the rematch, the one we've kind of all been waiting for. Mm-hmm. A bit of a game uh, time change. That game is going to be played at 3 p.m. Saturday, okay. as was noted specifically many times on many of the different websites. So, <laughs> a little different time change, a little bit earlier than we we're used to for the game, or that's at least what's called in football. <laughs> Barnesville visits Falmouth in a rematch, 3 p.m. Saturday at Falmouth Ice Arena. Barnesville won the first time around 5-3 to three in Hyannis, but... 
I'm expecting a much tougher Falmouth team yeah. this time around. I think guys like Nick Champagne are really hitting their stride. Um, now has 16 goals to lead the team. You know, guys like Jake Rosado, Robbie Curtis, Jake McKenzie. I think they're all going to have a much larger impact mm-hmm. than they had in the first game on this one, especially since Barnesville is going to be keying a lot on that sophomore Stone Devlin, who who had two goals in, yep. in the first matchup between the teams. So. I think those guys can have a lot of success against Barstool's goaltending, which has really been spotty at best yeah. on the road this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who knows? I, I think Eddie Donovan's going to get the start since he started the first game, but we really don't know. Yeah. Because Barstool's gone with both guys since then, and whoever coached him, Grace is feeling more confident with, is who's clearly going to go in net. But Falmouth is, is playing better since that Barnstable loss. They've won four of their last five uh, to clinch a postseason spot. But, you know, like last time, they're going to have to play Marshfield uh, three days before they play Barnstable. So, you know, Marshfield's going to be playing with some things at stake here. They can clinch the ACL title with a win in that game. Mm-hmm. So, Falmouth has to have to bring their best because Marshfield's going to want to close out that thing and Definitely. reclaim the league title. Um, Falmouth D's also been playing a little bit better, too. They only have allowed two goals per game in the last five. Mm-hmm. And they're really going to have to lock down on Brian Fry, I think, who really burned them in the first game. Big week for Barnstable, too, I feel like. I mean, they got an old Colony League title on the line. They uh, play uh, Dartmouth at 5 on Wednesday. Uh, the, it would also uh, be a playoff win for them. It would be a, I'm sorry, it would clinch the playoffs for them. You know, they played Duxbury, a 14-2 and team on Saturday. They lost 2-1. to one. Jack Cordero scored. Good effort against a really good Dragons team. Um, you know, they can't. I, I think you said before that they can't let Falmouth control the pace of this. They can't just let Falmouth take shots after shot at whoever, whether it's Higgins or Donovan, who, who's in goal. Yeah, and they did a real good job with that in the first game, keeping the pressure away, mm-hmm. really getting pucks deep in the zone, and really turning the tables and outskating Falmouth. I highly doubt they'd be able to do that again. But even Falmouth at times, we've seen lapses in their in their coverage, especially from their lower lines. So. You know, I'm looking at guys, you know, clearly Falmouth is going to be keying on guys like Fry and Jack Cordero. Yeah. And I think Barnstable is going to try to sneak some of those middle line guys like Chris Cordero and Jack Longwill on some of those other, you know, weaker lines against Falmouth. Mm-hmm. Try to create some mismatches and get those guys scoring opportunities. They've done it a few times against certain teams this year, especially with um, Longwill. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And Falmouth had to shorten his bench the last time and really just run two offensive lines. And if you have to do that again, Barnstable is just a more physical and a, and a better skating team, I think. So if Falmouth can take the lead in this one and really add on to it, I think that they'll win this one and, and earn another split of this rivalry series, which never seems to get a sweep anymore, <laughs> which I guess is a good thing. It makes That's it probably a good thing, yeah. Um, other hockey teams, you know, just looking at who's still in contention, Martha's Vineyard's 9-4-2. One more, I mean, I think they – actually, I think they should – they might have an extra game, so I think they do need another point or two. Mm-hmm. But they're right on the bubble. St. John Paul is going to have an interesting road. They have five difficult games, I think, all against teams with winning records um, coming up. And they have a depleted roster. You know, They lost both Delmans to injuries and um, haven't looked nearly as strong as they did in the beginning of the year, uh-huh. even with a good goaltender. The Vinton actually doesn't play until the 13th against Cardinal Spellman, so a bit of a bye week for, for them coming up here. Uh, Mashby Monomoy is a team we're looking at coming in at 7-6-1. They have two games against sub-500 Middleborough Hull, plus a home game with East Bridgewater. So those games alone should be enough to put the Monarchs in. Mm-hmm. But then they also have a, a couple tough games, I think, coming up against uh, Upper Cape, which will be another good rematch. 
And I think they have another one with St. John Paul to close out the year. So mm-hmm. um, Noss at 7-7. Seven seven. They should be able to handle D.Y. and Stoughton. But next week's going to be really interesting is that they're going to play a home-and-home against D3 Powerhouse Southeastern. That's just probably going to win the MAC, you figure, right? Or... Oh, absolutely. If they haven't clinched it already, I mean, scored 107 goals and allowed just 14 this year. <laughs> absolutely ran over Upper Cape twice this year. Mm-hmm. We'll see how they match up against a bigger team like NASA, team of NASA that beat Barnstable mm-hmm. at home. So, again, I'm very interested to see how that Southeastern team stacks up against NASA, and they play them back to back. So, it's always interesting when you get to see that. And then NASA also plays Sandwich, a team that beat 5 nothing. So, I think the Warriors can go on a roll here and maybe even win out, and that would give them a chance to maybe even host a to host a tournament or a game. Although most likely a lot of those I games think all played, the games are going to be at Gallo. Most anyway, of those games get played so. at Gallo, but it increases your odds of you know yeah. getting a better matchup. Sure. And then you got Nantucket, which you know they came in. Um, what was their record now? I believe they're five and six, five, six and one. Yeah. Have won five straight. And they're going to host Mashby Montemoy on Wednesday and then Upper Cape on Saturday. Two wins there, and I think the Warriors are really going to show that they mean business. Yeah, but those are going to be very hard matchups. I, I don't think they would be the – definitely they wouldn't be favored against Upper Cape, and probably I would say Mashby Monomoy is favored in that game too. Right, but Nantucket is playing much better, and they're yep. on a roll. Absolutely. They had the confidence. Um, girls' side, the Canal Cup, you know, it was just as thrilling. The Sandwich Girls pulled out a 2-1 two, two win. They got the winning goal from Carolyn Bear with just under four minutes left in the third. Mm-hmm. But Coach Steve Null, I think, said it best that this this win was for their lone senior, Carrie Gould. Doesn't get mentioned a whole lot. She's a senior captain and defender. Their only senior on Sandwich's team, and she just did a great job of playing defense in front of eighth grade goalie Sophie Vesiglio. Only gave up one goal in the first period, and then Sandwich uh, shut out uh, Born Mashby Wareham, Old mm-hmm. Rochester in the in the in the last two periods so i said it last week that bmw goalie meg nolan would have to play well and she did but caitlin kelly had the um the only goal for the offense for the canal women and that was it just born just didn't have that production Mm -hmm. from its offense in the game it could have won but it didn't and nice little healthy rivalry between these two communities i think it's like only three two sandwich since the canal cup started on the girls side Mm -hmm. so you know bmw six six and two they should be able to bounce back um their last five or six games are against teams with losing records. They should be able to win five of those six games, set up a nice, maybe even a home playoff game there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sandwich will probably miss out on the postseason this year, 6-10. and 10, But they're playing much better hockey late. And, and if they only have one senior, they all stay together. Yeah. Goal for next year. And it's so tough. Sandwich has just gotten picked apart with its talented players going to prep schools. And mm-hmm. you've had... Um, you know, a player like Gracie Snow, who played for Sandwich initially, then went to DY. Yep. You know, it's just it's been hard to retain that talent. We'll see what the future of that board Mashby Wareham program is, because from all indications, Old Rochester might be taking off soon, and who knows if if BMW is going to have enough alone to sustain a program. Yeah, right. Maybe you get some kids from Upper Cape who are interested, or figure out something. But we'll see where they go moving forward. Big game I covered. Maybe co-op with Sandwich. Maybe. Who knows at this point? Yeah. But, you know, biggest game I think of this past week, though, was Barnstable, 8-6-1, mm-hmm. came in and knocked off D.Y. 5-2 to on its pink of the rink night last Wednesday. They scored three goals in the final two minutes, including the winner from Carolyn Oakley um, that made it 3-2. Totally different Barnstable team from their, um, from their 7-3 skunking at D.Y. back in December. Defense led by Oakley was all over the Twins, Ava and Kayla McGaffigan. They mm-hmm. just had two defenders. Seemingly every time they had the puck, there were always two people there. They weren't afraid to take the body and play physically. 
and then Oakley to set up a nice slap shot from the blue line, and that was your winning goal there. And then you got two more kind of late goals just to kind of add insult to injury. Mm-hmm. DUI was a little down. They were playing without one of their defenders, Chase Holmes. But, you know, it is what it is. Barnstable certainly showing playing much better as a late Goalie Lisa Alto playing with much better confidence now. Mm-hmm. One point she had a diving stop to save uh, Ava McGaffigan on a breakaway that could have given D.Y. the lead. And her coach Peter uh, Nunez said she got new skates, which apparently has helped a lot with her mobility. And hmm. uh, I thought he was joking at first, but seriously, her, her mobility was you know going back and forth across the uh, posts has been much better. And she's just got to be feeling a lot more confident now that Barnstable's won three of four and that they beat a team as good as D.Y. To know with those twins. And I still think DY is the top dog on the Cape, but certainly Barnstable showed that they're playing a lot like they did last year. Absolutely. And they have Barnstable's got winnable games coming up. They got Sandwich, Martha's Vineyard, and Marshfield over its last five, and those wins alone should be enough to propel it into the state tournament. I agree. DY is 11 and 3. They've got the Furies, the Cape Cod, you know, Nazi Cape Tech Monomoy team. They've won two out of three, but I'm pretty sure DY is going to win that game. Uh, they're hoping. To, as you said, to get Chase Holmes back. Also got Falmouth uh, on the cusp of a playoff spot. They're 9-4-1. They visit Marshfield on Wednesday, again, the same day that D.Y. plays the Furies. So uh, the ACL team's looking pretty solid. Even the Furies are playing a little bit better than they were at the start of the season. Uh, but I think when we get to the playoffs, we're going to see the teams that we always see. You know, We're going to see D.Y. They're probably going to be a pretty high seed. Barnstable, who knows, uh, and Falmouth also should be probably a mid mid seed. I think we're looking at. I would guess with yeah. that record, it's just so tough. And you, your card kind of goes out for some of these teams. Is that it's just a state tournament structure? You'd really like to be able to see a sectionals where, yeah, you can get the atmosphere like you do at Gallo for the boys tournament, right? Where it's you know it's a jammed house, kind of like we saw for the Canal Cup, you mm-hmm. know, on Saturday. But and it's just so much harder to really win something in girls hockey you know yeah. when you just have the state tournament structure because it's a lot of haves and have nots and mm-hmm. unless you're one of that upper, upper echelons teams it, it's hard to really go anywhere absolutely and just for dy to get a taste in barnstable to get a taste of the quarterfinals last year mm-hmm. was you know good enough of an experience sure but i think dy thinks they can do better than that this year yep absolutely and, and it's just going to come down to and i said it all year when dy's offense is limited it it struggles mm-hmm it's simple as that. They're not going to win a lot of 2-1 games. They have to put um, a lot of goals on to win some of these games. Sure. I think we'll wrap it up with a couple of the other sports. We'll hit them a little bit more quickly. Uh, I want to do track just very quickly. Uh, big qu- congratulations to Tiana uh, Basie from DY. Uh, she's a thrower from the track and field team, shot put, discus, things like that. She signed her national letter of intent on Friday to go play for Louisville, You know, a huge Division One program that the best in the ACC yeah you know she's been unbelievable at DY she's crushed discus and shot put records she won the discus and took second in the shot put at all state last year in the outdoor meet she was third in New England at the New England regional which is basically as far as you can go in the indoor shot put uh last winter you know I think you've talked to her a little bit more than I have about kind of her development into this really elite thrower who is probably, you know, 
The divisional meets start next Wednesday at Reggie Lewis Center, and she, she's got a very good chance to win the, the shot put in that again. Yeah, she's a really down-to-earth kid from what I met. And, you know, she yeah, she's, she's just like anybody else. She gets nervous for her competition, even on the ones she knows she's going to win. Mm-hmm. Because so much of throwing is that technique and not wanting to foul yep. and, and just making sure you go through all the steps right. And she's been working a lot last year with a uh, coach from Bridgewater, a former retired Bridgewater, not Bridgewater Rainham, but uh, Bridgewater State. State. Yeah. coach and she's really gotten that training and is not afraid to you know stick to her technique and just really excel and um you know she's going to earn herself a great opportunity uh, louisville won the indoor acc meet last year and i think we're second in outdoor so mm-hmm. it's not just going to a mediocre program this it's is one of the one, better programs absolutely in division one period <laughs> so i think she's setting us up for great success and um like you said, in the divisional meet, we'll really see how she could finish out her senior season because this is when the season really gets real for track and field. Definitely. With all these huge meets. Yeah, um, there. I mean, Wednesday is the first divisional one, and that's basically all of next uh, next week. And it's funny, from talking with her last year, she said initially she was going to be a sprinter, and Coach Jim Hoare her, pushed her in the right direction to say, <laughs> do this, stick with this, you're going to be a great athlete. And mm-hmm. that's what I think Coach Jim does best over there is – he takes, an, he takes a kid and finds out what they're best at and gets the best out of them. Agreed. And he puts a lot of effort. You know, he'll talk a lot about how the sport is called track and field, not track. So he has always been someone who has stressed the importance of having developed throwers. And obviously, even when she was a sophomore, Bazzi was, ha- was having a lot of success. But she was part of a throwing unit with people like Jasmine McFarland and Chloe Aracy, who are also really, really dominant throwers right. there at uh, one of, I don't think UMass Amherst, but one of the UMass schools, maybe Lowell. Or Dartmouth. Or, or, no, no, Lowell, it's, you're right. It's you're right, D1, Lowell, so Lowell, Lowell I think. Uh, so, you know, that's a program that is always stressed having good field players, as field athletes, as well as good track athletes, you know. Right. And she's the first D1 since Jordan O'Day, who went to Northeastern. Right. Um, so, just swimming real quickly, I was mm-hmm. at the Bay Colony. Uh, championship meet over the weekend no real surprises the Kentucky boys dominated four straight title 467 points uh sandwich was really excited though they got runner up but only 210 points really shows you the chasm in that conference Nantucket Um, I think really has a chance at state I don't know if they have a chance to win it but I think they could take top three you know what kind of made me chuckle a little bit when I talked to coach Jim Pignato after the boys meet you know, he said he noticed his team was actually seemed fatigued. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, you dominate so much, and you're like, really? But, you know, there weren't really a lot of record-breaking times. You know, the, the week prior in Nantucket, I think, had three meets in four yeah. days. So, it, naturally, they were tired. But just to, to grind through that and, the, and to show that these athletes who aren't nearly as tapered yet for these state meets, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. to do that well, I think, speaks a lot to the program that they can just go out there and even on tired arms or legs or whatever's hurting – can go out there and just have a completely dominant performance and defend the league. The I think league I think some of that is the experience of guys like obviously Tyler Rothke, but also James Taff, Grant Beebe. Those guys are all very seasoned varsity swimmers, and I think they all and they swim. I, I'm pretty sure they swim year round, so they all know how to do this. Even when they know they're not at full strength physically, they know how right. to stay mentally strong. But I, I was actually more impressed. You know, Nantucket's going to do what they're going to do. I wasn't almost as focused on that as much mm-hmm. as I was with some of these other schools. You know, it was a great feel-good story for a kid like St. John Paul's Tyler Karen, yep. who was second in the 200 freestyle and second in the 100 butterfly. Mm-hmm. Just to see it from a small program, I think only has like six swimmers. Yep. To to do that well in a meet like that, I, I think it's very noteworthy and. Um, Kudos to him for doing that. Same with Barnesville's Ted Ells, who I got to 
spend some time with as well Saturday. Mm-hmm. He was second in the 100 free, just missed out on states, but he's going to compete in the 100 fly at states. And um, he's been one of Barnesville's mainstays, really down-to-earth kid, really takes things in stride, understand that he's a high school athlete, but he's certainly competitive and he, he really enjoys swimming and just doing his best. And he still has, I mean, he could qualify, junior. yeah, and he could qualify for state at sectionals. So if he can get his time down even more, I think he could keep his season alive for one more competition. Right. Um, but he's big on the relays too. He's just a good teammate. Mm-hmm. And um, it comes from a good line of the swimmers too. You know, his, his older sister's at Merrimack, uh, Carolyn Ells, and um, his older sister, even older sister, Elizabeth, I think was like a lifeguard supervisor. So mm-hmm. swimming, lifeguarding, all that stuff that's in the Ells in blood and, uh, We'll, we'll get to speak with, or we'll probably run a story a little bit on Ted a little bit later in the season as we get a lead up into states. Mm-hmm. Nantucket girls, again, were dominant as well. Um, Emma Davis, a pair of events from the Nantucket girls. Um, when you look at the other girls' side, you know, the Barnsville Quartet, Kat Girdle, Ava Coteau, Hannah Jeffreyon, and uh, Sherry Danforth mm-hmm. finished second in the 200 medley relay. Um, Girl Danforth and Morgan Darty and Jessica Brady were also second in the 200 free. You got some good performances out of Sandwich as well. Someone I spent some time with, uh, Emily Bouchard, mm-hmm. had a nice little story. You know, spent some time in Belgium as a kid. Yep, came back to the U.S. to Portland, Oregon, and competed for a state championship winning team. And she's come in and already broken a couple records for Sandwich swimming. Uh, won the um, 100 fly for Sandwich, and uh, just having a really good season. Uh, nice kid down to earth, like I said. Um, so we got the sectionals, as you just mentioned, coming up this weekend at MIT. Girls are at 4.30 p.m. Saturday. Boys, 4.30 p.m. Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, should be an interesting week. A lot of teams are going to be tapering down, shaving a little bit, try to get those extra times off. Um, and hopefully, like you said, some will qualify for states. Absolutely. And then we'll wrap up with wrestling real yep. quickly. I know it's been a really long show here, a lot of stuff to get to. Um, a couple of wrestlers who joined the 100 Win Club recently. Sandwiches, Paul Cody and uh, Barnstable's Mike Stanley are in. Stanley reached the mark with three wins by pin in Barnesville's quad meet Saturday against Pembroke Carver and Mount Hope. Uh, that's in Rhode Island, in case you were curious. Um, big week for wrestling, though. We have South sectionals. Division One's going to start in the morning at Brockton. Mm-hmm. Same for Division Two at Whitman Hanson, and then Division Three. Well, I have to worry about Division Two, but Division Three is going to be at Foxborough. Barnesville in the D1 meet. I'd really look for Josh Stanley at 132. Mike Stanley, obviously, at 138. Joey Silberto at 152. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Joe Molina yeah. at 160 and Josh Oliveira at 220. I think those are the guys you're going to be looking at who are going to be trying to earn spots in the divisional meet. But you never know. There could be a couple guys you could sneak in there. Mm-hmm. Sandwich side, I think, I mean, Paul Cody, you know, he was a sectional champion last year, and I think he wants to repeat. Connor Keegan and Tanner Davison also wrestling very well. Definitely got a chance to finish in the top six, move on uh, to the state meet the following weekend. Uh, and then... Nossett, you know, he's the, I think Christian Beer, I think we would agree, is probably their best chance of somebody from moving on. He went 2-1 and one at a quad meet over the weekend against Braintree. Uh, I'm sorry, he was in Braintree with Cambridge, Taunton, and, Bra- uh, and then obviously <laughs> the, the host Braintree team. So, you know, I think Nossett has had mul- years where they've had multiple guys move on. Could happen this year. I think this year they're down a little bit compared with the previous years. Right. Uh, but Barnstable and Sandwich both have guys who I think could definitely possibly win sectional titles. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, I know Cody's goal is just to get to all states and, and win a match at all states. He said that would be the dream for him. And mm-hmm. he's going to enter the Marines. So clearly he's got more things he's focused on down the road. 
finishing out school and graduating and stuff like that. But I'm really excited to see Joe Molina. You know, we've talked about him a lot on the show. Just a kid who's wrestled at the Texas State Championships, I think he really has, he's going to turn it on to another level. And who knows where he could go. I mean, his goal is to get to New England. So if he keeps wrestling the way he is, I don't think anything's going to stop him from getting there. Absolutely. And you don't have to. You have it, to win it. No, right? I think it's top six in Top six from sectionals move on to state, and top six, I think, from state move on to all state. Yeah. So, um, and so. then I think it's the same thing for going to New England. So, right. all he's got to do, he doesn't have to win it. I'm sure he wants to win it, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely think he could be a top six finisher uh, very easily. Cool. I think that would do it for today's episode of Kate Sports Now. Thanks for hanging in with us. You can find this episode online at capecodtimes.com slash capesportsnow. You can find us on Facebook at the Cape Cod Times Facebook page. You can download this episode and previous episodes through your podcast app for Google and iPhone products. You can check uh, Sports CCT, our sports department Twitter feed, for updates on all the local stuff we'll be covering this week and forever in the future uh, and you can find us on twitter individually i'm at matt goisman cct that's m-a-t-t-g-o-i-s-m-a-n-c-c-t i'm at steve underscore derderian my last name d-e-r-d-e-r-i-a-n thanks for watching we'll see you next week absolutely just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.